turnout at the Women's March on Washington. Organizers had to cancel the formal march to the White House because there were so many people. One of the things that makes us who we are. One of the things about this country that makes us us is you see us showing up. We will wait in line. We will ask questions. We will run for office. We will expect to be answered. So a little something happened on January 20th, 2017. The game changed. Not for those in power, but for the rest of us. And if we want to be ready to stake our claim as worthy opponents in this game, then we have to gather our resources, step up our knowledge base, and strengthen our resolve. This podcast is designed to be one of those resources. Long before the game changed, I was researching something called artistic activism. It's a practice of art for social change that seemed to directly target the issues, and I was curious about why everybody seems to think that art and social change go hand in hand. So I talked to a bunch of artists who are out there doing this work to get an idea of what the practice is and how it works. And it turns out that artistic activism can be incredibly effective at creating change on both emotional and material levels. And given our current political moment, that seems to be just what we need. Artistic activism is something that we can add to our arsenals of resistance, regardless of if you're a veteran activist or a beginner, an accomplished artist, or someone who just enjoys making things. It truly is something that's accessible for everybody. So each episode in this podcast miniseries looks at a different theme of artistic activism as told to me by art activists themselves. Learning directly from them will give us a practical knowledge of the work, which we can then pull out of the arsenal when we need it. And we will need it. We're stronger and smarter than they think, but we're also more creative than they think. So incorporating that strategy into the resistance will make us more resilient, more effective, and ultimately more unpredictable than they'll ever see coming. So let's get started on learning how to creatively resist through artistic activism. So very simply put, what is artistic activism? Well, luckily we have an expert on the subject who will be with us in each episode to help us get a better handle on this question. So my name is Stephen Duncombe, and I am the co-founder and co-director of the Center for Artistic Activism. I'm also a professor at New York University. So the Center for Artistic Activism is a research and training institute. Not only do they make academic inquiries into artistic activism and how it works, but they also conduct workshops all over the world with groups who want to learn how to address an issue creatively and effectively, or who just want to incorporate creativity into the activism that they're already doing. Basically, the Center for Artistic Activism not only wants us to get a better understanding of the work, but they also want us to learn how to create artistic activism that works, that actually creates change. But for our purposes, we can think of Steve as podcast advisor. Sometimes when I'm looking into something, I really just want a clear, succinct definition. So I asked Steve if the Center for Artistic Activism could help me out. 
I wish I had a really good definition of what artistic activism is, but unfortunately, um, or maybe fortunately, I actually don't. And part of that has to do with it's a moving target, um, what artistic activism is. It's been called by so many different names, political art, activist art, socially engaged art, uh, social impact art. And, you know, it seems to take on a new name every couple of years. Um, so what I think all of those practices have in common is that they try to mobilize the affect of the arts, that is, the ability of the arts to move us individually, personally, um, on an emotional level, and the effect of activism insofar as activism is directed at challenging power, changing power relations, and shifting material conditions. So the affect of the arts and the effect of activism. We can think of affect and effect as the two main pillars of this work, and together they function like this. You witness the art and it makes you feel something. Hope, anger, sadness, joy, those feelings are the affect that Steve is referring to. And then based on what the art made you feel, you'd go out into the world and do something whether it's challenging someone in power or boycotting a specific company or starting conversations with others about the art's message, whatever it might be, you do something different. And that difference, based on the emotions that the art made you feel, is the effect. So art ignites affect, which ignites effect. Here's an example of what that process looks like from art activist Diana Arce, who's an artist, researcher, and activist. Diana is the creator of a karaoke-style participatory performance called Politoki, where audience members are invited to come on stage, just like you would at a karaoke bar, and perform political speeches from politicians in their region. I've been doing this project, the, I'm wearing a shirt, Politoki, <laughs> um, where I turn political speeches into karaoke, and I've been doing that since 2007. And for me, it's like, how can we find a way to talk about politics without actually talking about politics? Because whatever happens when you talk about politics in a mixed group of people, they get caught up in like language and they get caught up in sort of stereotypes of what they believe they're the people that they believe in tend to be. And then they don't actually have a real conversation. Mm -hmm. So can we remove how do you remove the like, how do you remove the candidate from what they're actually saying? And the idea for that was like, OK, I'll put everyone in the shoes of the candidate. If I, if you are the candidate, if you get to be the candidate, you know, it gets a lot harder to just swallow the words if you don't believe in them. Um, and then you can actually have like, people can actually have discussions about what it is that they want from our government and what it is that they want from our politicians without thinking specifically about the, directly about the politician. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter. It's who actually like who actually wants to do something to represent us or whether or not we feel that these people represent us in any way. Okay, so let's dig into this. First of all, what's the art aspect of Politoki? The performance, right? Maybe you saw something else, but basically it's performance. And while you're not performing the speech at a political convention somewhere, when you're singing karaoke, you're also not exactly performing on Broadway. So something to keep in mind about artistic activism is that in order to participate in the work or create the work yourself, you don't actually have to be trained in the artistic medium that you're working with. You just have to go for it. Here's Steve on that. 
we're all artists. Uh, we all have a creative side. We might, some of us are called artists, some of us have the training of artists, but we all know how to create. And that's something that's part of the human condition. And it's really about tapping into that creativity. We also are all connoisseurs of the arts. We might not go to museums, but we listen to the radio, um, we scrapbook, we create fanzines, we create quilts, we think about our gardens, um, we appreciate the beauty in other people's gardens. All of that is about thinking about how things look, how things are presented, and what is the impact they have on people. Now, there's another side to this as well, which is artists. Artists are very good at doing this sort of work. They're very good at thinking about how things appear and how to uh, maximize the affective impact. But what they're not trained at thinking about is how to actually have an effect. Um, they're very good at getting people's attention, but once they've got their attention, not as good about thinking about what to do with that attention, how to channel it in such a way that it has a real impact in society. And so the idea of artistic activism is to help artists to strategize like activists and help activists create like artists. Or find the activist and artist within one person, because we do have components of that in ourselves. Not only can everybody participate in the work, no matter your artistic skill level or activist knowledge, but actually most people already have a good grasp on what artistic activism looks like. And that's because we've seen people use aesthetics in their activism all throughout history. The term artistic activism, like creative activism or socially engaged art, is a relatively new term. Um, but the practice of using the arts in activism is ancient. So when we do our trainings, we actually go way back in history. Um, we actually, since our trainings first began in the Deep South, um, where people have to engage with ideas about Christianity as activists. We started a whole unit on Jesus as a creative activist. When we worked with Jewish Voices for Peace, we do a unit on Moses as an activist. When we worked with American Muslim organizations, we did a section on the Prophet Muhammad as an artistic activist. And all of these people were interested in challenging the status quo as it was, and transforming perspectives of what could be. And they all used aesthetic strategies, whether it was the use of poetry by the Prophet Muhammad, or the spectacles of parting of the seas of Moses, or Jesus's use of metaphors and parables. Um, these are essentially aesthetic strategies. Now, we don't think of those three folks as artistic activists, but that's what they were. Or more recently, go to the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement were genius at staging spectacles. Um, Rosa Parks sitting down on that bus, that was a staged operation. The lunch counter sit-ins, they rehearsed those lunch counter, counter sit-ins outside of the lunch counters for days on end so they would know how to react. They thought about the image. They thought about the picture. They staged. That doesn't mean it wasn't real. That is, white supremacy and white violence was real, but they understood that they needed to make the invisible visible. They needed to put the reality of white supremacy onto the stage so it could be photographed and then transmitted around the world. All right, so getting over the idea of what an artist is and isn't can actually be really helpful. To me, it makes the work seem less intimidating. 
Now, this isn't to say that the art can't be aesthetically pleasing or good in the way that art is typically judged, but it might be beneficial to loosen up the terminology of artist or non-artist as we know them, since these categories can be limiting at best and elitist at worst. But back to Polidoki. Here's how it works. Um, yeah, it's just like a karaoke bar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's moderated, so it's either moderated by me or if, we're in an, if I'm in another country, then I find a local person to assist or help or do the moderation. And um, it's just like a karaoke bar. It's, non, it's nonpartisan. We collect. I usually try to get a team together of people to like help me build it while I'm working on it. So there's usually me and a few other researchers. And um, we collect as many speeches as we can find from all the different politicians who are running for a particular office or who are from a particular region. And then the key thing is also not to find excerpts of a speech, but to find a full speech. Then we take those full speeches and we turn them into transcripts, which is basically just typing them out by hand. <laughs> um, and those are, those are then taken and turned into karaoke videos. So the videos themselves are like one-on-one, one-to-one, in the exact rhythm of the original delivery speeches. So if the guy coughs in the middle of speech, it's on the karaoke. Here's a clip of someone performing the speech where President Obama deigned to admit that the U.S. isn't perfect. Who would have thought? He also forgot Mark Twain's name for a second, so check out how the participant handled it. Of course, precisely because America isn't perfect, precisely because our ideals consistently demand more from us, patriotism can never be defined as loyalty to any particular leader or government or policy. As, as, uh, Mark Twain, that greatest of American satirists so the artistic medium is performance, but what can the art make people feel? One of my favorite things, other favorite things that happen is that um, uh, we did one show where people were choosing speeches for other people. And um, everyone thought John McCain's NAACP speech was, uh, was a speech from Obama. Um, and it was funny because it's extremely, the speech is extremely charismatic and extremely great, but not when it's delivered by John McCain. It doesn't work that way. He's horrible at delivering speeches. So if you put it, if you give it a different context, all of a sudden it sounds like something completely different. Hmm. The words are great. Words are amazing. And so that particular show was just like this random show where people wanted to, they were all really kind of excited about just doing it and they wanted to kind of guess who was doing it. Um, but it was really funny, like how often they got it wrong, like how, how many times no one, they couldn't tell when it was a Republican or a Democrat or the only time they could figure out were libertarians. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was like, it was like, oh, you can smoke weed and you can have guns. Okay. It's a libertarian. Like that's the only thing that they got. So humor, fun, intrigue, these are all affects that can come up through an evening of Polidoki. But Diana told me that sometimes the feelings are even more profound. Another thing that happened which I guess wasn't so, I don't know like what, that, what the result of this is going to be or like if it really, I don't know how much it affected the audience, but I know how much it affected the person giving the speech. And I was in Israel and we did, I did it with Israeli and Palestinian speeches. When I got invited, I got told that they could shut me down at any moment because it could go terribly wrong, which I understood. Mm -hmm. And um, on the last show, it was in this public square and it was kind of like, I really was unhappy that it was there because 
anytime you do anything in public in Israel, it's like got to be covered by like security and police presence. So this public square was like all fenced in and you had to come in a certain way and you had to go through like a pat down in this whole nine yards. And um, there was this kid who was kind of hanging out and could see into the square and he decided to come in and, and do a speech. Turns out to be Palestinian um, teenager. And he gives a speech and after he's done, he came up to me and with the help of someone else who was there who could translate, he asked to speak to me. And he, this 15 year old Palestinian boy starts talking about how this is the first time in his life that he feels that anyone ever listened to him. And it was the first time in his life that he felt that he actually had a voice. Some 15 year old kid tells you it's the first time in his life that he like actually feels that anyone had heard him and that he's worth listening to. And that's insane, that's crazy. And that's power. I found, I, for me, that was, like, one of the most powerful things that happened. You know, like, what will happen, like, who knows what will happen to this kid, you know? Like, a lot of bad things can happen to him because he's Palestinian. Or maybe, maybe he'll decide to become a politician. Or maybe he'll decide to, like, you know, what, what, I don't know. Maybe something will grow out of this because he felt like he had a voice for once. And that's pretty, that's pretty, that's a really cool feeling. Like, is it going to change the world? Probably not. But, no, you don't ever know. You don't ever know. Diana's right. We don't ever know definitively what kind of effect this work will have on individuals, much less society at large, and we don't always get it right. But we can point the work in a specific direction, and that's where objectives and goals come in. They're definitive intentions for what it is you're trying to do, and the clearer they are, the more focused the work will be. Objectives and goals are important because we need to know if we're actually accomplishing what we think we're accomplishing. It's wonderful to go out there and say, I'm angry about something. Here's an expression of my anger. But that doesn't necessarily change anything. Um, Anger can change things, but it doesn't necessarily change things. It can just be blowing off steam. If we, instead of saying, I'm angry and I want to express how angry I am about the president or foreign policy or domestic policy, instead you say, I actually want to change a policy and have that as an objective. Once you have that objective, you start thinking about things like, who is the audience I need to be appealing to? What do I need to get them to do? And how can my action or the piece that I create actually accomplish that objective? Once you have objectives, all of a sudden you start pulling back and start thinking in a much more focused way about the work that you're doing. Now, When we mention that in front of artists, often they get really freaked out because they're like, no, I just want to express. Um, But artists are always thinking about objectives. They're thinking about objectives like, um, can I get into a gallery? Um, Can I make a living uh, with this art? Am I going to be appreciated by other artists and other critics? That is, is artists are constantly having objectives, but they don't acknowledge them or articulate them. This is just about being honest. Um, And if you call yourself an artistic activist, you kind of take on the weight of, it's not just about your expression, it's about changing the world. And we need to know if it's actually working in changing the world and how to make it work better. Sometimes people use the words objectives and goals interchangeably, but in the activist world, they're actually two different things. Objectives are the attainable, measurable milestones. We can think of them like the smaller accomplishments. But setting and achieving objectives is absolutely imperative in the process of creating change. These things aren't always glamorous, but they're things like 
get 25 people to come to my planning meeting, or get a picture of the work published by a major media outlet. Objectives are the littler things that we need to accomplish on the way to the big stuff, and goals are those big accomplishments. A goal might be to overturn a discriminatory law, which is no small feat, but it can also be something that's a bit more intangible. You know, I would like to say that, like, everything I'm trying to make is, like, with an attempt to sort of change people's minds about things and see if, like, if, if you can, like, hit someone or get to someone effective enough that can, like, actually enact those bigger parts of the change. Um, but that's mostly never the case. And and so it's, uh, it's, not, about, it's not about sort of changing... I, I don't ever really think about any of the work that I make in the sense of, like, trying to change the system on a whole, but it's about, it's like, how can you change the ideas of, like, actual individual people? It's not even about necessarily completely agreeing with me, um, but it's to have sort of, like, a, to have a better understanding about how things are kind of structured. Maybe your goal is you want to change the hearts and minds of people. Or maybe it's even more abstract, like you want to tackle a systemic issue like racism or sexism. It's good to have big goals. We wouldn't be doing this work if we didn't think it was possible to change something in the world or to resist those in power. But we need to break those goals down into objectives that are much more attainable and much less overwhelming. We'll talk about what it looks like when art activists put those objectives and goals into action in a later episode. But in the meantime, it's a good idea to start looking at your work through the lens of what you want it to do in a big way, which you probably already do to a certain extent. But maybe more importantly, we should spend more time thinking about how we're going to make that happen in a smaller, more attainable way. And that way we can stay practical in our approach to artistic activism and avoid being overwhelmed by this really ambitious idea of using art to change the world. It's like that old saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. We do live in very odd and strange times um, where the stakes are incredibly high. And sometimes at these moments, the temptation is to say, why would I engage with creativity or artistic practice? It seems so frivolous. What I'd say to that is it's exactly at these moments when we need to be more creative about how we get into the streets, how we put our messages across, and so on. And to quote Audre Lorde, poetry is not a luxury. Um, in fact, if you want to study and understand the history of creative activism, it starts with the most marginalized people possible. Um, and why that's so is because marginalized people locked out of legal systems and political systems have always had culture as their weapon. That's the thing which they're allowed to have. That's the way they express themselves. I mean, can you imagine popular music in the United States without the contribution of African Americans, um, poor white folks, queers? And so the fact is, is that culture is the very thing. Creativity is the very resource that the most marginalized people in this society have. Better, more, and with readier access than anybody else. So. Art and culture is not a privilege of the privileged. Um, actually, it's learning from those folks who are most marginalized, which is the most important thing to be doing at this moment. 
So when we break it down, using artistic activism as a means for resistance or for creating change seems actually doable if we remember some important things that were just mentioned. So here's a recap. Artistic activism utilizes the affect-effect relationship. Affect as in feelings, effect as in results. So people see the art and they feel something that motivates them to go out and do something. Objectives are the attainable accomplishments that are necessary steps towards goals, the bigger accomplishments. So we can start thinking about what overall goals we want the work to accomplish and then figure out the necessary objectives that we need to reach before that can happen. And artistic activism has been used for years and years by people from all types of actions and movements. So creating this work is actually a continuation of efforts from activists of prior generations. On the next episode of Creative Resistance, we'll hear from several art activists about how they identify and communicate with their audiences. First of all, I think art that isn't about communication is about class. So it's not activism if it's not understandable.